This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. What up, what up? Hola. I always say hola. I don't know why. It's like <laughs> the first thing that pops to my head. <laughs> That's okay. Anyways. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Get your dad joke out of the way. What are you talking about? Hurry up. <laughs> I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, Hurry it up. I know you got one. Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? Why? <laughs> it was too tired. Because it has two tires, you get it? Oh, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I was like, you look really confused this time. Hang on, let me explain it. <laughs> That's how lame that one was. I didn't even get it. <laughs> it, was, it was too tired. That was a good one. Come on. All right. So you're like, all right, now that that's over. What's to say I don't give you another one at some point? <laughs> oh, good God. So Why? I do have a correction. It's not anything big at all. A couple of us, I think it was not last episode, but the last. And we were talking about the seven up guy and the what's up commercials oh oh okay I was like a correction from our case or no literally <laughs> from just bullshit okay right, cool. from bullshit. but it was not the seven up commercials that was the Budweiser commercials oh. so the seven up guy the Orlando guy that I, that I was thinking of his commercials were he was all um like make seven up yours he was trying to make that the slogan yes. and so like he had the shirt that on one side said make seven and on the back it said up yours and it was amazing I remember that I remember that so I love those commercials that's what I was talking about uh-huh. was up was Budweiser and then scary movie I knew it was scary movie <laughs> I was like but was it I don't even remember it being Budweiser right hmm. so there's my very super important correction corner <laughs> all right then well I don't have a lot going on um I, I mean, it's about to be finals week, like I'm prepping for finals. So I'm going to just kind of get right into it. And this week's case is, it's different than what I typically do. So it is not an unsolved case. Okay. It is solved, but it's actually two cases put into one. Interesting. So I don't know what that means. I'm intrigued. I'm going to tell you it's, it is a case. It's two cases. It's about two different. Well, it's about two brothers. One ends up being like a hero and the other ends up being like a villain. Oh no. It's like a Mufasa scar situation. It's, it's crazy. It, okay. it is, it, this family has gone through a lot. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So I'm just gonna hop into it and, and I am going to go ahead and just say trigger warning. Um, it's not so much gruesome in the first half as it is the second, but okay. there is um, like sexual assault and things like that in this case so okay well we'll go ahead and get into it I like so, how um, you gave a trigger warning and then last time when I said trigger warning you're like we don't have to give trigger warnings. I know <laughs> but I I did want to go ahead and just kind of say it because this case like I said this case is completely different okay so um it starts December 4th in 1972 now this this day in particular was one of the worst days for the Stainer family 
um, seven-year-old Steven Stainer had just left school and he was walking home when a man approached him that was handing out religious pamphlets. Okay. So it's so crazy in this case, because did you not hear me bitch and complain a couple weeks ago because there was somebody outside of my son's school doing the same thing. I don't remember this. No, did I not tell And maybe it wasn't you, but I went full Karen. Oh gosh. I went, no, you didn't tell me. I feel like I would remember this. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am going to have to to start (laughs) off and I'm not like, I'm not a typical Karen mom by all means. Everyone knows that. Right. (laughs) Like if anybody actually truly knew me, I am pretty laid back, but when it comes to my kids, I am a major helicopter mom. Mm-hmm. And it's because of, I mean, the stuff that we are talking about, like true crime, like everything in the world is just so crazy. I was going to say it's because of the world. <laughs> it's literally, I mean, I, I am a helicopter mom because of how in depth I am with true crime, with what I study, just all of it, you know? So I was dropping my oldest son off at school and there was an older man, probably sixties or so handing out religious pamphlets outside of the school doors to like the children walking in literally. And he, and this is what made me go full Karen. He stopped Aiden as Aiden was like walking and tried to talk to him. And I pulled into a parking spot, right? So he didn't just try to hand him a pamphlet and let him walk on. Like he was trying to like full engage. He tried to have a full conversation. I pulled into the parking lot and I walked out um, of my car, which I still had two of the kids in the car, you know, walked out. And I was like, you guys stay right here. Lock the doors. I'll be right back. And I could still see the car. It's not like I was like walking far away or anything. And I was like, Aiden, keep walking. (laughs) And the guy like kind of looked at me and I was like, I do not appreciate you stopping children. These kids are 13 years old, 14 years old. You should not be stopping them to talk to them about anything religious or not. It is inappropriate and you should not be outside of a school. Yeah. That's not okay. I don't, I don't like that. No. And the guy was like, well, I have permission to be here. I said, by who? And he was like, well, I spoke to the school principal here or whatever. And I was like, well, I'll have a conversation with her because I'm not comfortable with that. I'm a parent and I do not appreciate you talking to my underage child, whether it's religious or not. Right. Like there's no reason for you to approach this child with no parents present when they're just like, we're trying to walk into school. What? Right. So, um, Granted, I always drop my kids off right before they're supposed to be in the school. So Aiden had like two minutes. So I waited until <laughs> Aiden was inside the door. <laughs> you say like me, you're like, so I always drop my kids off like right as the bell is ringing. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, no. So our kids get like 20 minutes before the bell rings and right. when they can go inside. And so I waited until he was inside because I was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, sure. And then I straight picked up the phone and called the principal and was like, <laughs> I do not appreciate this. I understand this is a small town and I understand this is a religious town and I'm by all means not saying that it's not okay for, you know, people to preach about God. That's fine, but not outside of the school. And it has nothing to do with like religion at all. It has to do with how many crazy people there are out there. And I do not want my kid being approached by a complete stranger. Right in a situation like that. So she apologized and she's like, it was harmless, but I will make sure that doesn't happen again. I was like, I'm can promise you, I'm not the only child or the only parent that would think this way. Right. Um, So So she actually did. Okay. It 
like yes. be okay this year. Oh, wow. Yes. And I was not okay with that. Yeah, no. So no. Um, I don't think that's going to happen again. And if it does, then, I mean, I'd be shocked, but. Right. Um, they don't so that happened to this way. kid. Yes. They don't think of it this way, but clearly it happens. And I'll tell you why. So um, the seven-year-old Steven Stainer had, you know, been approached by this man who was handing out religious pamphlets. He was requesting charity donations to people that would like actually stop and listen. It was like from seven-year-olds? No, from like other like adults and stuff. But he persuaded Stephen that he could learn more about Jesus and that if he could just talk to his mom about donating, he would give him a ride to his house. Mm -mm. No, Stephen, run. Well, Stephen trusted him and got into his car. And unfortunately, the middle-aged man, Kenneth Parnell, would not be driving him home. I know that name. Yeah. It sounds familiar. Kenneth was like a master manipulator in, in this small area or whatever. Well, he had so many people believe he was like this religious leader um, mm-hmm. and that God had called upon him to guide like spiritually and, and to guide these young boys and other people. Um, oh, sweetie, you're in a cult. No, call, call yeah. someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was only a few hours later that Stephen was actually in a secluded cabin miles and miles away being brainwashed into accepting Parnell was now going to be his guide and guardian and that his parents were the ones that okayed it. I'm, so, I'm sorry, what? I mean, he's seven years old. Right. He's seven years old. This, this man straight told him that, you know, your parents asked me to take you in and to guide you on the religious path. Wow. And of course, you know, he's a seven-year-old freaking out because he's not home, but eventually it's calmed down. And I mean, if if he's telling him that his parents said that this is cool, like this is what they wanted, then yeah, he's going to believe it, especially back then. You said this was like in the seventies. Yeah. So this was a different time when people were all concerned about stranger danger and all that. So it's supposed to be like a trusted adult to him. Exactly. Well, of course, you know, his parents are freaking, freaking out, out yeah you know trying to find their kid well Stephen endured living with this man for seven years what seven, seven years whole years where he was and I quote Parnell's son Mm-mm. so Parnell would speak about this loving boy out in public like when he preached on the streets um and prowling from you know more trusting children or whatever and he even had him enrolled in another school how can Before, you even do that? How can you enroll a kid? Like, was he going by, like, did he have him going by like a fake name? Cause I, I don't know how, I don't know how it worked in the seventies. I mean, <laughs> now you have to have birth certificates and stuff like right, that. Like, sure, you, you, just, to, like right. you can't just like come in and say, Hey, this is my son. Um, so sure, yeah, you had to have some kind of documentation. I'm sure he, he made up some kind of fake shit or whatever, but that's oh, insane. I'm sure. Well, he even, um, well, Steven was not just enduring being the kid to this new dad. He was actually being sexually abused as well. Uh. So once Steven hit 14 years old, like he was too old for Parnell. And so Parnell decided he needed to find a younger victim. Like Steven, even though he was like brainwashed into thinking his family like gave up on him, which is super sad. So sad. Um, he didn't want another child to go through what he went through. And here's something that's really fucked up that I read about. Um, so Barbara Matthias, like a friend of Parnell's, 
she was first sent to collect another kid um, that like he had already decided on. When I was reading about it, I was like, how did he? So he had somebody in on this? Like he had another person? Well, I guess Barbara had actually encountered Stephen a couple times and also molested him. Oh my God, this poor freaking kid. I know. So yes, she wasn't necessarily like, in on the whole kidnapping Steven thing, but she was in on the whole, oh, well, he says it's okay to touch him, so I'll touch him. What the fuck? And also, you're kind of in on it because you know about it and you're not reporting it, bitch. Right. She, I mean, she's, yes, absolutely, but it's- Like, she didn't um, physically kidnap him, but she's just as exact, awful. Exactly. So he's like, oh, because she's in on it, I'm going to go send her to go get this kid for me. Well, she failed. Like, she didn't get the child- um, I don't know if she like got a conscience or what, which clearly she didn't have a conscience before. No, I don't think it's that. I think she just is terrible maybe at got life. Ner- maybe just got <laughs> nervous and just didn't want to do it. I don't know, but she failed. So he decided that Steven was old enough to help lure a child for him, which mm-hmm. is also super fucked. <laughs> yeah. And also I saw this on an episode of Criminal Minds. Like there's, there's an episode. a lot of criminal. No, I watched, I watched a bunch of it recently. I, there's oh, an episode. Yes. I remember that. Yeah, where well, yes, they kidnapped but a it bunch was a girl. of kids. Well, there was a bunch of kids. They kidnapped a bunch of kids, but the oldest one was a boy and they would try to, they would like use Oh, yes, him. yes, 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 yeah. yes. It was a family. And this a- boy didn't want the other kids to get hurt. And he ended up trying to save. And then like at the end, before they were like arrested, they like actually killed one of them, didn't yes. they? Yes, mm-hmm. And they were going to like burn one alive in one of the incinerators or whatever, because yes. they had like an old funeral home. I know. Episode exactly. That's about. exactly it. Also, sorry for all the spoilers if you haven't seen that one. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't, then you don't watch Criminal Minds because it's okay. Old. <laughs> okay. So he sent Stephen out and Stephen failed on purpose. Like he didn't want another kid, you know? Right. So Parnell was like, okay, well, I'm going to take it in my own hands. And he decided to bribe a kid that actually went to school with Steven, like in this new school with drugs and money to kidnap another child. The fuck? And the, the kid that he bribed was actually going to back out. Like he, he wasn't comfortable with it or whatever. And, um, Parnell like threatened him with other things. I don't know what all he threatened him with, but he ended up, um, not much later, you know, Stephen had another, he had a new little brother, seven-year-old Timothy White. Now, seven-year-olds, I don't fucking, fucking crazy. That's his age. That's his age group. So this is where I will say that I like legit leapt and screamed hell yes to this kid. So Ooh. this is where um, the hero portion of this story comes into play. Stephen said he would never let another kid go through what he did, right? Mm -hmm. so in the dead of night literal miles and miles away from any town he grabbed timothy and said i'm gonna get you home get it and he succeeded he actually he actually walked i was so nervous (laughs) that you were gonna be like and parnell caught him (laughs) he actually succeeded he actually walked miles and miles to the nearest town yeah where both the boys finally did get reunited with their family and Stephen uh, was a hero so you can that be where can that be where we end is that I was gonna say you think this would be a happy ending right <laughs> well it's not but I want it to be <laughs> so Stephen eventually returned back to his regular school and he was 
teased about being sexually abused. What the fuck is wrong because with people? I was about to say, because people are fucking ridiculous. People suck so bad. So he was teased to the point where he actually dropped out of school. It is awful. And it was really rough at home. So, you know, he was practically raised by a kidnapper right. for, for seven years. and for literally half of his life. And in that time, you know, his kidnapper would let him drink and smoke and do things as he pleased and his parents were just like trying to get structure back into his life right which I'm sure was crazy difficult it was especially when you know he's used to doing things that any kid should not be doing right this age right um and it eventually actually got so bad that his dad actually kicked him out well that's not gonna help come on guy and it's really crazy because his dad was like the biggest advocate for like getting him home. He was constantly putting out flyers for his son being missing, um, all of this stuff, like actually, you know, requesting rewards for anybody that knew any information. And it got to the point where he was, it was so bad that his dad actually kicked him out. It's so crazy. It was really fucking sad. Like that's not going to help at all. Well, once he did hit his early twenties, he did finally start to get his life back into order. Okay, um, I mean, okay. I mean, everybody has to take a process, you know, it's, it's a long process to try to get your life back to where it should be. I mean, he went through torment and right everything that could have emotionally just damaged a child. So he did eventually train to become a security officer. He joined a church he even got married and had kids of his own. Oh, well, um, Parnell, he was arrested. Okay. I was like this whole time I was thinking, okay, so they left and he did, no, did he, he, he called it in and everything. He let him know, you know, who it was. He was arrested and he was actually given the death sentence, but the death sentence was appealed and he was released on good behavior. Five years later, shut the fuck up. Five years later, good behavior after Five years later. Oh my God. And it was actually, I read somewhere, um, it was actually noted that he again abused another child after too. Well, of course course, he did. Right. Of course he's going to. I hate everyone. (laughs) Well, here's something that's really sad. So Steven, let's go back to Steven. One night he was on his way home from work and he was driving his motorcycle, a route that he had taken many times. Oh no, I don't like where this is going. He wasn't wearing a helmet. Even though. And he was hit by a vehicle where he was left to die on the street. Like a hit and run? Like they hit him and left him? Yes. But they did find out like who hit him, you know. In fact, he did. So Stephen died. He was 24 years old when he died um, of this motorcycle accident. But here's what's sad about the person that hit him. Now, it wasn't like a drunk driver or it was like a pure accident, but his wife fought it really hard. You know, his, his wife was like, we need justice for Steven. Steven's wife. Okay. Mm-hmm. We need justice for Steven. And, uh, the guy only got like three probate or three months probation. I was like, he only got three probations. No. Three probations. <laughs> he only got three months probation. Yes. Killing, slaughtering somebody. I mean, it's yes. accidental, but oh my God, the hell yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure he felt awful. Like it was an accident. He did I'm sure he felt terrible, but I've, oh, 
That's awful. This story sucks. <laughs> well, that's the end of the Stephen case, but this case isn't over. Okay. So here is an interesting thing. So Stephen had a few siblings. Like I, I didn't really get into his early life because, you know, his early life, he was taken. Right. But Stephen had an older brother, Carrie, and two older sisters as well. Well, Carrie was born August 13th, 1961. And when his brother was kidnapped, he was 11 years old. Carrie was really close with Stephen. I mean, there wasn't that big of an age gap. They were pretty close. The two were always together. They were always playing. And Carrie was, in other words, his big or his little brother's protector. When Stephen disappeared, it really affected his entire family. But Carrie took it really, really hard. He was an 11 year old boy that just didn't understand exactly why his brother was not coming home. Oh, that's so sad. He actually got really close with one of his uncles the year that Stephen first went missing. And he later stated that his uncle molested him. Oh my God, what is wrong with all these adults? So there wasn't a lot like about that incident. So I don't know if it's true or not, because when you learn more about Carrie, he is a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So he's the villain of, of this hero he, villain Carrie, tale. Carrie is the villain of this tale. Yes. And the hero died an awful tragic his whole life this poor guy his whole life was just this one big tragedy since he was seven years old yes and so sad it's life is not fair so carrie did struggle growing up when stephen was back when he came back at 14 Mm -hmm. um, it really hit their family all in different ways and um what i mean by that is when he disappeared it really puts a toll on a family because right yeah i mean everybody knows that but they're really focused on this one child that's missing and the other children are not getting that love and affection. They're going through, you know, a tragic event. Right. So it could take months to years to anything before parents really start paying attention to their other kids because of this. And, and, it's, and it's not like they're trying to ignore their other kids. It's no. Just, and right. I'm, by all means, I'm not saying that the parents. Right. It's we're just bad people, right? It's natural if your child is missing that you try to put all of your, every every, all of your efforts into finding that child. Well, of course, when Stephen came back, you know, the news media, like everything hit the media. Um, he was getting interviews. He was deemed this hero. So he, Carrie still wasn't getting this attention and he was just trying to connect with his brother again. Oh, well, he was, but it wasn't like a, I'm jealous of you. Like, I hate you type of thing. It was more of a, I just want my brother back. Well, that's sad. And then, you know, a few years later, Stephen died and Carrie was extremely devastated. In fact, Carrie even tried to commit suicide in 1991. Hmm. He started doing drugs, small petty thefts here and there. Um, and in 1997, he was arrested for possession of marijuana and meth. But both of the charges uh, would later get dropped. So as an adult, Carrie was a handyman. Um, He was hired as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge Motel in El Portal. It was right outside of the entrance to like the Yosemite National Park, Mm -hmm. which for those that know true crime cases, know that the Yosemite National Park was actually in another recent true crime case, the Gabby Petito case. Right. That we haven't touched on yet, but... 
yet. I say yet because it will happen eventually. <laughs> eventually. It's it's too fresh right now. Mm-hmm. It's still too fresh. I st- I feel like there's still some information that's kind of missing and in, in some pieces. That's why. Right. So Carol Sund and her 15-year-old daughter, Julie, along with 16-year-old exchange student, Selvina Peloso, all left their home in Eureka, California for a vacation where the foothills of like the Sierra Nevada mountains like melted into the Yosemite National Park. So they wanted to go and see all of the sites that were around these locations. Okay. They took a plane and they flew into San Francisco where they would rent a red 1999 Pontiac Grand Prix. So Julie actually had a cheerleading contest at the University of Pacific. So they were going to stop and go to her cheerleading contest first before continuing on their vacation. Okay. So they did that. She did good. Um, And then they headed out for the Cedar Lodge in El Portal and reserved a room. Mm, I don't like where this is going. So (laughs) (laughs) they actually arrived at the inn early on February 14th. Oh, happy Valentine's Um, Day. I know. I was kind of thinking, I was like, man, that's a vacation to do in February. <laughs> this seems okay. really chilly. I know. <laughs> that's kind of like what I was saying. But so on the 15th, the girls left their room to go on a hike and see the park. It was even reported that the mother and the teens came back to the room and rented a few videos from the lodge's like service desk to watch. And here's where it got weird. So on February 16th, the inn staff said the girls' room was already cleaned, no evidence of foul play, and that the checkout was done in advance. The keys were left on the room desk, which was a normal thing. So basically, they were staying the 14th, 15th, and they were going to check out on the 16th because they had more vacation to go to. This was their first stop. Right. So they were just like, okay, well, we're going to check out by this time and I'll leave the keys in the room. So of course the staff goes to go clean up the room, but it's already cleaned. So um, the girls were supposed to meet back at the airport where Carol's husband, Jens, would meet them and they would all go toward the Grand Canyon, but his wife didn't meet him. So he thought maybe she just flew ahead or their flights were delayed because they both had to take a flight to meet. So I mean, I feel like I would think maybe the flight was delayed, not maybe she just decided she'd go on without me. <laughs> right, but this is this is what's weird. Well, it's 1970 something. Right, I know. <laughs> so I and and I don't know, but I know my husband wouldn't do this, but this is just I'm I'm going to go on with this next sentence and you're just going to be like, "What?" <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so he went ahead to Phoenix to meet them because he couldn't miss his flight, you know. Okay. Well, I mean, he couldn't miss his fight. Right. He even played a round of golf there while he waited for his Wait, flight. what? <laughs> That's where I was. I would be like, no, my husband wouldn't do that. In fact, my husband would actually probably miss his flight while he's waiting on me because, right. I mean, that's the norm, right? Oh, my wife didn't make it. Well, that's not like her. So I'll just wait and I'll catch another flight. <laughs> oh, my wife didn't make it. Oh, well, guess I'll go on. <laughs> guess I'll go on and play some golf. <laughs> Well, when she hadn't contacted him and he couldn't get a hold of her, he was like, something's off. Yeah, you think? So I'm going to call the police. Okay. 
So, I mean, he did call the police, so that's good. good it job, wasn't good just job. like, oh, well, my wife. He was like, <laughs> looks like I get some more golf to play. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was like, what the fuck? But <laughs> the police noticed, like, when they were digging into it, they were making sure it wasn't like, oh, maybe it was a delayed flight or something like right. that. They had, to, they had to do their due diligence, too. But they noticed that they never returned the rental car. Okay. Well, that's suspicious. It was. So the first thought was like, maybe they got lost in the hiking area that's in the national park because oh, no. it's such a huge park yeah. that, that maybe they got lost. So let's go where they're staying and see if her car's out there and see if maybe she's here mm-hmm. Well, her car wasn't there, but they were like, okay, well, we're still going to do a search party. So after four weeks of searching with oh. no luck, no luck, literally a month of searching for these girls in a huge national park. I mean, they did search parties in every direction. Carol's- they, I was going to say, and they just weren't looking for the car anymore. They were just going to search. Well, they were looking for everything. They were looking for it all. Well, Carol's wallet showed up on a Modesto, California street, just randomly on a street. Just on a street. What? That's and weird. Every, and no, this is what's weird. Everything oh. was still in it. Oh. Nobody took their money. Nothing. Everything was still in it. So it's almost like somebody like purposely dropped the wallet on the street. Right. Because if it was there for long, somebody would have found it and either tried to contact the person who was on the license or stolen the money because they were a creep. Well, somebody found the wallet and they brought it to the police department like most people would do when somebody's missing, you know, and nothing was taken out of it. Nothing. So with this piece itself, police and Carol's husband, Jim's knew something was wrong, obviously. I mean, I would have known something was wrong four weeks ago. <laughs> That's what I was, but... <laughs> about to say. I was like, um, it's been a month, guys. <laughs> a but little they knew, slow. They knew that this was going to, this was going to end up a bad situation and they were going to not find their loved ones alive at this mm. point. So yeah, on it's March. It's not looking good. It's not looking no. good. On March 18th, a hiker had wandered onto the site of a burned out red 1999 Pontiac Grand Prix. I found the car. Okay. <laughs> it was hidden off of the highway in like a small forest area. The hiker noticed something shiny, just a tiny little piece of something shiny, walked right. over and just found this charred car. It was, it was burned up. Hmm. So he, of course, called the police. He's like this I don't think that's supposed to be there. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> Good call, guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm glad he was a hiker that actually called the police instead of just walking past it and, you know, right. not doing anything about it. Well, police got to the scene and after everyone was there, well, not like everyone, but like the police and forensic people mm-hmm. were there, um, they opened the trunk. And when they opened the trunk, they found two charred bodies. Oh, no. Those of Carol Sund and Silvino, Silvino, Silvina, sorry, Silvina Peloso. But where's Julie? We'll get there. So they were unrecognizable. In fact, the only reason that they were able to identify them was off of dental records. Yeah. It wouldn't be until March 25th. No, happy birthday. I know. <laughs> Sad. It wouldn't be till March 25th when Julie... Carol's daughter would be found near Lake Pedro, which was miles away from the car. 
She was also badly decomposed and her throat had been cut. Mm. And it would be months before another victim would come into play. When they um, found the bodies and they, you know, broadcasted it media that they had found them and they weren't alive and the case went cold, police officers actually noted in an interview that they um, believe that the guy must have been caught and was on in in jail somewhere. What, they why? <laughs> but they did they didn't know like if the guy got caught from something else. Obviously, they weren't like, oh, we caught the murderer or anything. No, they were just you- like, well, it just stopped. So I guess he's probably gone. He's long gone. He's either fleed the state or he's in jail somewhere. That's a so terrible he- assumption to make. <laughs> what? I agree. I agree. That but is they did. lazy. They- that's that's you don't want to try to find him. They literally put out, um, they, they did an interview and literally stated that. So it wasn't long after that interview on July 22nd, 26 year old Joey Armstrong would be the final victim for Carrie. So Joey worked by the Yosemite Institute. So she was close to where he worked and she was supposed to meet her friend the night before her friend actually had called up to the park rangers that evening to see if they could see see if she was still there because she was late like she didn't show up oh okay so kudos to the friend for calling right she was like hey um is joey still there because she didn't show up when she was supposed to show up and i'm a little worried about her so the park rangers went out and they looked and they found her vehicle like all packed up and ready to go because she was supposed to be right it wasn't until the very next day that the park rangers would find her mutilated body mm. decapitated Oh my God. Yeah. I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) I know. I actually put trigger warning, but I already put trigger warning before. (laughs) So it's like, I mean, I I said it. (laughs) Yeah. So police immediately went back to question all the workers. They were like, that's going to be obviously the first thing we do because they're like, okay, well, who all was working this night when Joey's working? Because this is not okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is not okay. We've got to find this guy. But it was weird because, you know, it wasn't like the other case. There was right. no I MO could, at I all. Say, I could see how they would not connect these at all because it's completely no. different. I mean, all three of them or all four, all four of them. Right. Yes. So Carrie had previously been interviewed by the police when Carol's son and her daughter and the exchange student had disappeared. But he was so calm. So they didn't think anything of it. Like they just thought, okay, well, he's telling the truth. He didn't do it. So Mm-mm. sorry. Do they not know that serial killers are psychopaths? And they can uh, <laughs> fucking right. If, if I was interviewing somebody about something like this and they were calm, I'd be like, they fucking did it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do when I'm interviewing. <laughs> like you, you are too it, calm. Sir. You did it, sir. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Well, on July 24th, 48 hours after Joey was found, um, Carrie was primed a suspect. Carrie was primed a suspect. Okay. Words are hard. (laughs) I know they are. His truck was searched where his backpack was confiscated. Nothing was in there, but he got super angry when it was taken. So he, that's why they were like, okay, there's something wrong with this guy. (laughs) Um, so they went and <laughs> I know like that's my lovey I don't know like why I don't, I don't know he carried around an empty backpack you weird <laughs> well he had other stuff in there okay. in fact he actually had um like a serial co- killer book in his 
backpack, oh, cool. but it didn't. But I mean, anybody that likes true crime, I was, was going to say, really bring them to that. I carry around serial killer books all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, I literally just looked over to my right and there's a bookshelf that's got like several of them. In it, yes. So, so they um, actually went to search his home and police stated that they found evidence to link him to Joey's murder. So it was never stated what they actually found though. So I don't know if this was just like a way to like throw him off or That's whatever. Weird. Uh, yeah. So after a few hours of questioning Carrie, he actually confessed to all the killings. Um, so they were just like, they were just like, we found it. We searched your home and we found it pretty much and he had no idea what they're talking about and he got so nervous that he just confessed i guess okay <laughs> so that's basically how it how it happened and um he did confess he confessed to carol julie sylvina and even joey and he also stated right away he's like i did it but i didn't sexually abuse them in any way or he didn't say sexually abuse he said i did it but i swear i didn't touch any of the girls which obviously means you touched the Right, girls. like nobody said anything about that, bro. Calm down. So in a taped confession, Carrie stated that he had planned to actually rape and kill his girlfriend and her eight and 11-year-old daughters a year before the sons oh. were his first victim. Okay, cool. In fact, he chickened out. And the only reason he chickened out is because there was like a, like an older gentleman down the road from them that would like, yeah, that would like come and check up on all of them because, you know, Carrie would work late. So Aww. he was afraid he was afraid he was going to get caught. So he never did it. Oh, what a sweet gentleman. Mm-hmm. And he saved their lives. And here's another thing. He also stalked four young girls the day before Carol ended up being his victim. Oh, God. If it wasn't for the fact that four girls were actually being accompanied by another man. Wow. He, he would have killed them. Oh, my God. He even told investigators that he had fantasized about killing someone since he was seven years old. So long before his brother, Stephen was ever even. That's what I was going to say. I was like, wait a minute. That's before anything happened to them. That at seven years old. Oh my God. Which is super fucked up, but right. How does a seven-year-old even know about? I don't know. I hope my kids don't think like that. What the fuck? So he told investigators that, um, and this is where I'm going to kind of get into what he did. Oh God. Okay. He told investigators that he walked into Carol's motel room where she was reading a book and the two girls were watching Jerry Maguire. Oh, that is so wholesome. (laughs) I know. He said he had to fix the fan in the bathroom. So we walked oh, okay. the- for a second. I forgot he was a handyman and I'm yeah. like, why are they not freaking out? That this I man know, just walked into I know. Cause I thought the same thing. I was like, what the fuck? If some dude just walked into my hotel room, I'd be like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> you like, oh, wait. Yeah, no, he was like, I have to fix the fan in the bathroom. And he would walk into the bathroom where he would pull out his 22 caliber pistol. Mm-mm. He ordered Carol and her daughter and Sylvina to lie face down on the beds. He then binded their hands with duct tape, gagged them, and took the two girls to the bathroom. Carol was left on the bed. Mm -hmm. So he returned to Carol and he strangled her with a piece of rope. He even stated he didn't realize how hard it is to strangle a person. It's not easy. He said, I had very little feeling. It was like performing a task. The fuck? So he, he said it took, it took him a few minutes to kill her. 
Then he stuffed her into the trunk of the Grand Prix. Then he went to the bathroom where he would try to get the girls to perform sexual acts Mm. on him. Mm -mm. But then he stopped because he got annoyed because Sylvina was crying. Oh my God, are you serious? They annoyed you while you were trying to fucking assault them? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Girls, bite it off. Mm Mm-hmm. So he picked up Julie and brought her into the bedroom and he left Sylvina in the bathroom. He went back to Sylvina, who was crying, mm-hmm. and strangled her. Well, he didn't want Julie to see Sylvina, so he told her to watch TV while he cleaned up his crime scene, the bathroom and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he um, picked up Sylvina and put her in the trunk of the car as well. Then he took Julie in the car naked. He just wrapped her in a hotel pink, like one of the hotel pink blankets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he drove away and he just kept driving. He said that he didn't know where he was going and he kind of panicked because okay. he has, he had always fantasized about doing this, but he never actually did it. He was like, oh my God, what's going to happen if I get pulled over because she's naked and I've got bodies and in the there's bodies in the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he kept driving until dawn and then he came, he came across like a small passing, which was by the lake. He uh, took Julie out of the car over by the lake and he told her, and I quote, I wish I could keep you. Ew. Yes. Who? That's vomitous. Then he cut her throat and watched her die. Oh my God. And then he would later state that like he had wanted to like take her back with him, but he left her there. So then he drove the car off a few miles down and set it on fire. And them, like the other two. Right, right. They were in the trunk. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, he doesn't go into depth about Joey's murder. So I didn't read as to why he chose her as a victim. Probably read- because she was an easy target, like she was a woman alone. Right. If I had to um, guess. And I'm sure that's exactly why, because she was working late and there was really nobody around. Right. But um, I also didn't see exactly like why he decided to d- decapitate her either. Yeah. Like what the fuck? That escalated so quickly. I know. I looked everywhere. Um, he never actually like went into detail as to why, um, but he confessed to it and Carrie was found guilty and was even given the death penalty in 2002. He is still on death row in California. He is trying to appeal the death penalty. No, sir. But it's still like an ongoing case at the moment. So it has not been appealed, but nobody has been um, actually sentenced. Well, they've been sentenced to death, but nobody has actually been like executed executed since 2006 in California. Right, right. we just don't know when it's going to happen, but yeah, wow. I hope, I hope he does get killed and I hope it's a awful feeling. I hope it, I hope it fails and he like catches on fire. <laughs> you know, they don't do the electric chair anymore, right? They do lethal injection. I know, but, I, <laughs> I, know, but I hope he catches on fire. From the lethal injection. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it fails that bad that he catches on fire. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that was awful. Yes. So you're like, there's a hero and a villain and I'm like okay so there's gonna be some good no it's still sad for both of it is it is several, I mean he was a hero he's yeah, he, he saved was. another another little kid from 
right an awful experience that he went through so kudos to him even though even after like the whole thing he didn't want another kid to go through it but even after it it was really hard for him to cope at home yeah being kidnapped and stuff so I mean it is it's a sad story it just shocks me that this family could go like I can only imagine what the parents were going through in both situations like first your kid is kidnapped then he dies on a motorcycle then your other kid is a serial killer like where I would feel like I've failed as a parent that's 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 bad luck for sure that's awful and it's so crazy to see like how two brothers who are super super close could be so different so different yes oh that's crazy craziness yes so that is the case of Stephen and Carrie Stainer I was like did you forget their last names It's a dramatic pause. <laughs> was it really that big of a pause? I didn't think it was that big of a pause. My bad. Wow. All right. Well, follow us on all the stuff. Follow us on the stuff. Yeah. The the, the space facey space. Is that how you say it? <laughs> Fa- the spacey space. face. I almost said spacey face. The facey space. The, sure. The gram. You can find it all on serialholicsisters.com. This is true. And yeah. You know what I didn't mention before at all? Oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say something stupid, like another fucking bad joke. <laughs> I can if you want. No, I'm good. Go ahead. What? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, at the end of an episode, I put like, after the outro music, I put kind of like a little blooper type thing. Oh in yeah. There. Our stupid blooper. And I'm sure most people didn't hear it because I put it like at the very end, but right. I've been debating on just kind of doing that with all the episodes. If there's anything funny that I have to take out. <laughs> So Please don't because it's always me mispronouncing <laughs> stupid shit. True. I mean, you do mispronounce a lot of stupid shit, but I mean, I do too. It's fine. I'm it's gonna start. Funny. I'm gonna start in my notes. I'm gonna start spelling it out. Like you know how they do on, like when you're looking up like like phonetically. Yes, <laughs> and 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 you like literally put Samantha. Can, can like I? Can I tell you a secret? I do that sometimes. Like oh. last oh, okay. week, I do. But like last week when um. Warnecki, the preacher. Yeah. I could not, I had to literally like spell it out like war neck E. That's <laughs> hilarious. Because I, uh, I was like, I'm going to say this wrong every time if I look at it, how it's actually spelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to have to start doing it. Maybe, maybe. Well, yeah. All, All right. right. Well, let's, um, well, it's been fun. It's been real. <laughs> it's been real. You want to, you want to be awkward? Yeah, let's be awkward. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. I had already hit it and started moving around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's so crazy because his dad was like the biggest advocator for trying to find his kid. Yeah. Is that advocator? I I think. No, I guess that's not. Okay. (laughs) Saying it again. I was like, no, that's not a word. Okay. That's not a word. (laughs) Okay. It really hit their family all in different ways. My phone wasn't on silent and just made a noise. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you looking at your phone? <laughs> I was for a second, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> follow us on all the stuff. What was that? I don't know.
Sorry, it was one of my cats going up the stairs. It's a weird noise. Okay. 